Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You know, in America, everyone loves number one, and our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Bet Online has all the latest odds, including Major League Baseball, the latest fight news, even next season's early NFL futures. I love the NFL futures and the props, and betting on next year's Super Bowl champion. You know, the year 2000, was it, where the Baltimore Ravens and Ray Lewis went on that tear? and beat the Giants in the Super Bowl. You know that year, the Ravens, you could have gotten them at 80-1 to in Vegas to win the Super Bowl. 80-1, to the year they won the Super Bowl, back at the turn of the century. Head to the website, bet online, use your phone or your PC at home, and remember, friends of JT and Looney, get a 50% welcome bonus on their first deposit. Just use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, Believe, B-L-E-A-V, get your bonus and get into action. Bet online, where the game starts. And now the podcast starts, damn it. Episode 132. One, two, three. She loves you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Could I be any more relaxed? I'm popping a Modelo at 2.30 in the afternoon. Oh, a little day drinking. Yeah, okay. So finishing a radio show after returning from Amsterdam. So if I'm not going to take a break, and it's the summer, something you and I grew up as young kids when they oh, only get three months a year. It's very important. He oh. gave us eight, nine, ten. They didn't give us four. They gave us three months a year. It rained for about 40% of it. Yes, yes. School, and that was the end of our summer. When you went back to school, if you go back in the hot tub time machine, did you go the Monday after Labor Day? That's what it was in Elmira. That's what it was like when we were a real country back in the day. We had the same exact time away when you went back to school and did all that. But, man, it's good. It's the summer because if you're not enjoying the summer, you know, one of my big things that people are picking up on now, if you watch the stock market tank every day, not go down. I go down like 2% a day. It's always been a theme of mine. When you know the entire day begins, you're working for free. As a matter of fact, you're hemorrhaging and you're working for far less money than you could ever make earning your daily wage. And it's in the summer, man. You better have a barbecue. You better have a glass of wine. You better go see the new Elvis movie. You better do something and enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. And it's really important to always do that because the other stuff you can't control. But happiness for a lot of us is something we can control. I always thought it was an emotion I could control. Of course, we've got a lot of people in the world who suffer from depression and can't control it. For those of us who can we got to make sure we take that bull by the horns and control our happiness however we can. And it's usually not related to the stock market or how much money we're making. It's about friends and family. Yeah, you can always find uh, something negative. So that's why you just came off your Mexico trip. Let's yes. start with you. How great of a vacation did you have? Cerveza, tequila. I heard there was a little light rain and a cool breeze at night. And that's always a good uh, A little heavy rain and a cool breeze at <laughs> night. It was the rainy season of Puerto Vallarta and... And but you know I live in a place now where it never rains. With them winking and not to today, where there was an incredible, incredible lightning storm about three or four in the morning. Oh my God! So loud and so violent and wonderful. Because you and I also grew up with, with lightning and thunder, something that happens about every five or six years in Los Angeles. But I digress. And so Mexico was great. You know, it was one of the first times. You and I have talked about this quite often. When you take a big trip, and it's not to see your parents. Uh, your very old parents, or in my case, parent with my very old mother who has since died in, in the middle of uh, May. But I, before then, when I scheduled trips, I'd feel a little bit guilty that I wasn't going to Elmira to see my mother for what could be the last time. So this time when I scheduled this trip, ex post toots, I did it with this great, and, and because of the pandemic, didn't travel as much. I had such great zeal for this trip. There was no guilt trip in terms of the one I gave myself. My family would never give me one. My brother was a big traveler. He would say, travel, travel, travel. But I really, this was a really, uh, uh, this trip really, I felt less guilty about taking it for those reasons I mentioned. So I just couldn't wait. And I did have a lot of margaritas. And they don't give you heartburn in Mexico. You know why? The the margaritas in the United States, they use this margarita mix. In Mexico, they use things called limes <laughs> because they have a lot of them that grow there. And they use fresh fruit in the margaritas so I could drink them by the dozen. 
Great. Well, what also fascinates me because we're evolving with the podcast uh, coming up. We're going to use more video elements. I'll tell you about my son. My son's home and he's redoing everything. All my social media tore it down, redoing everything. I'm on TikTok. Great. TikTok's I'm on TikTok. great. So I'll tell you that at, at some point here. But we could have went viral with this podcast. And I'm saying this in advance. There's no such thing as a pre-flight or a pre-show. It's the show. Right. This could be our greatest podcast because instead of talking bullshit sports when there is no sports, let's talk about our vacations, our lifestyles, because there's a big category in the podcast world, and we're fucking better than all of them. We have oh, better right. lives. We have better road trips. We have more friends. So maybe we should blow off the sports stuff and just do a travel lifestyle podcast. Well, there is. We did go to a few places that are famous for silly reasons and not for really important fun reasons even like mexico i sent you the video where i drink about yes, a gallon here we go. Here a, we gal- go. a gallon of water a day and i have my and to save money i always just fill my water bottles rather than buy bottled water it's a big waste of money uh in the united states most places it's a it's about a half penny a gallon so two gallons of water is a penny. So you're spending a penny every other day if you drink a gallon a day out of the sink. And you saw me, I sent you the video where I filled up my water bottles in the sink at the hotel in Puerto Vallarta. Because there's this stereotype from previous generations. You know, I, I said, this isn't your grandfather's Mexico, where you couldn't drink the water and don't get your water with ice. And it's just ancient. The, the tourism is huge in Mexico. And so they want to make sure when you stay at their villa or their hotel or motel or wherever it is, that you don't get diarrhea at their motel. So the water is filtered and good. They say, drink it right out of the faucet. They're very, very proud of it. And I did. And I had no issues whatsoever. I got to push back. I got to okay. push back because there is video and there is truth of the cartels coming up on sea dews and wet bikes with machine guns onto the beaches of some of the tourism. Not everywhere. I know it's an isolated. Right. Incident. And I talk to a lot of people, and you're like a brother to me, that will not drink the water there. So you are an outlier, just like the 92-year-old lady in Omaha that smokes <laughs> no, no, I'm not an outlier. The, no, or, no, the, or the, reds a day. No, you're, if your friends do don't drink it they don't know i'm the leader not the follower going with ancient stereotypes about the water now if you buy a house in mexico uh, a little ranch outside of puerto vallarta you know for thirty two thousand dollars and 25 acres and a mule and you will um you probably have to be careful about the water uh infrastructure issues maybe and i don't know that i have friends that bought a house there and i'll have to ask them about that but I do know that uh, you know where, wherever I've stayed, and I'm not staying at all-inclusive places. I stay with the gente, <laughs> and I and that's another thing too. Safety issues. Oh my God! If anybody has no right to talk about safety issues, it's somebody traveling from the United States of America, where we can't even send our kids to school. Uh, Puerto Vallarta is not only the, the safest city in Mexico; it's one of the safest cities in the world. So you can wander day and night buzzed or not and have a great time in that city and you know i do my research on that you remember remember when we did our back in the hot tub time machine when we did our radio show all those years i would always talk about crime statistics and how in america you know they were looking pretty good and people thought it was some kind of agenda when i would quote good news you talk about good news because everyone's so afraid uh and same thing there's a lot of uh, great safe places to travel all over the world uh, we, in America, we we got to be really careful with bullets flying here. We don't need to be worried about traveling. Well, that's a nice segue to my trip. Because, oh, yes. Ah! Because you went, oh, I, yes. I just got back from a world-class trip, which was incredible. Went to see the Rolling Stones in Europe from Liverpool, went to Amsterdam, stopped in London, and... The reason why, the multiple reasons why this was a trip of a lifetime and a real trip of a lifetime, it had to do with what was leading up to it. Leading up to the trip the week of was the school shooting in Texas. Mm-hmm. And every night on TV is January 6th and the insurrection and shootings. And it was the real shootings. They're all real, but it was Buffalo into Mexico, right. into all of these. And it was just on a news cycle where I couldn't avoid it, even with the sports talk shows. May I say it was Buffalo to Texas, not yeah, Buffalo, Buffalo to Mexico. Mexico. <laughs> Excuse me, Buffalo to Texas. Right. Apologize. And when that happened, that was in my news cycle. So when I went on a cross-country flight, I had movies downloaded. I didn't right. have to watch the news. 
And then when we got to London, yeah. the the cool thing was as soon as we landed in London, we took an Uber cab and we took it to the train station right in the heart of London because we were going to Liverpool by train. So we had about an hour to kill and we had great beer and a pub. And I look outside and there's a big billboard, massive, like you'd see in Vegas for Live Golf. Live Golf is oh, right. rogue Saudi-based golf now tour that's breaking off from the PGA Tour. By the way, the gift that keeps on giving to oh, Sports Talk yeah. Radio over the summer. Oh, <laughs> and giving to all the golfers, even the golfers that won't play on Live. Oh, right. Now the PGA Tour is held hostage and they're offering them free money. Here, play. We'll give you more money. We'll give you more money if you play here and don't go. Well, that was the news cycle I landed with and saw. Then we, we took a train, a two-hour and ten-minute train. Big country, right? Big country, the UK. All the way from London up to Liverpool as they say, Liverpool, mm-hmm. the home of the Beatles. And we got out there at the train station and we checked into the Hard Day's Night Hotel. Oh, yes. wow. A Beatles oh. statues on the rooftop of John, Paul, Ringo, and George. And we check in and in the lobby, they're playing Beatles music. Then you go get breakfast in the morning, Beatles music. You get in the elevator, Beatles music. You get nice. your room in the hallway, Beatles music. Uh, there was Paul McCartney over my bed in a painting, and we stayed there, and we started off the trip. So the reason the trip started off so good was I left the American news cycle of killings, Amen. school shootings, Buffalo, little children waiting for police officers who were 30 feet away that wouldn't come save them. And that was in the news cycle. Then, boom, I'm off to Amsterdam. And London. unplugged. Whoa. And I unplugged. Me too. Oh, it's great. If you can't come from that on this travel and leisure section of the show, if you can't unplug from time to time and really unplug, there's times I've been to Hawaii, there's times I've been in L.A., San Diego. You find yourself, you're at the beach, oh, there's my phone, I better look. Just look who's texting me. Right. My email, none of that. None of that as this trip began for me. So I really unplugged, and I think it benefited my mind as I went on the trip and I started the journey. I got a text at one point in my trip early on, some kind of social political text, and I said, uh, time out. <laughs> I said, I am unplugged until next Tuesday. Nothing. I want no uh, news, no sports. I am unplugged. And one thing that really helped me is I, my, I have Total Wireless as my carrier, and it's like $30 a month, and it used to be 130 with Verizon. And so it's a pretty good deal. And the one thing that it doesn't have is international service. So I just have a Wi-Fi when you go from place to place. And every place in Mexico has Wi-Fi, even the smallest taco stands. So, uh, yeah, I, so I had it, but not at every moment. So it was that, that helped me be unplugged. So I don't know how the Dodgers did when I was gone. I don't know if there was Laker drama. I don't know if there was Supreme Court drama. It's great. I've been... I'm uh, I'm going clear. That's what, what they say in Scientology. It was great. Five, six days of going clear, and I'm still clear. I still haven't paid much attention since I got so, back. So the Hard Day's Night Hotel is right at the corner of Matthew Street, and Matthew Street in Liverpool is where the Beatles started at the world-famous Cavern Club, wow. where they played over two, and I have the number here, the amount of shows they played there, well over 200 shows. Pete Best before Ringo, it was 62 to 64. So early on, the mm-hmm. Beatles yeah, basically learned how to play music together at the Cavern Club. And it was right at the corner. Like, you came out of the lobby, you went 30 feet, made a right, and the Cavern Club was there. So I've been to Graceland, and I can tell you now that the Cavern Club's better. It's like Graceland. Wow. Oh, my God. You're down there. Adele's performed there. Every, you know, Sam Smith to Ed Sheeran, to everybody who's played down there because they want that Beatles vibe. Right. We were able to do that, and that was fun to know. And it was kind of a wild street. The first part of... This block of Liverpool, you could see some drug deals going down. You could see Mm -hmm. some homelessness. Not much. Not much at all. But it was kind of the gritty side of Liverpool in a tourist section. So to paint a picture for you, that's where we started off the show and where we were when it began. And it started off the trip. But what happened was my wife's really good at traveling. And she said, we're going to go on the big bus tour and we're going to go on the Beatles tour. And I said, great. She got the tickets. It was all set. Oh, my God. They picked us up at the Liverpool port where the Titanic launched. The Titanic, okay. They got a maritime museum, and you're looking back at the city and the government buildings, and you could tell this, and some of it bombed during the war, you know, and rebuilt again. But just a a better 
port side than I thought. And then we get on the we get on the bus and it's we're going to Penny Lane and they play oh, the Penny wow. Lane song. Penny Lane, there is a barber showing photographs, and we're at the barber shop, the wow. same one that they got their hair cut. Then we go to the real strawberry fields where John really had a tough, tough childhood with his mom giving him mm. up to his aunt, and he wasn't aware of that. And he'd go behind the house to strawberry fields. And all of a sudden, we're driving past John's house, and they point to Ringo's house. And on the side of this pub is a big, beautiful, colorful painting of Ringo. So I could see where the Beatles lived. And they wow. were in the suburbs, not in the city. Oh, God, I got to do this. And wow. it was incredible. And the tour guide was great. So we did that. And I got my Beatles on. And that led me into what was going to be really deep about seeing the Rolling Stones. Because the trip was about going to visit the Stones and see them on their European tour. Two years ago it was a milestone birthday for my wife. And the whole trip got canceled because of COVID. And we decided we'd go back, and we had the window to do it. So the Stones were playing at Anfield Stadium, the soccer grounds of Liverpool. So it's kind of like a Yankee stadium in European mm -hmm. soccer. And we went to the show, and I decided, I told my wife, I go, I want to go to a pub beforehand. And we looked on our phone, and the most legendary one is the Arkles. 100-year-old pub plus. I go in there, and I really broke out my A-game soccer game. Oh, yes. You wanted to be the American who knew yes. about soccer. The guy. John, not JT. John, the American soccer guy. We could <laughs> talk about the rivalries and Everton is across the park from Liverpool. And I could see that and really met some cool guys. And then we went into the show and we walked down to the pit on the floor and we're waiting for Mick to come out where Keith Richards hasn't been in Liverpool to play since 1971. Wow. Don't raise wow. your hand if you were born in 1971. Wow. Stones come on and put on a global set, which was incredible. All your favorites. And that's how my trip started off. Night two, I'm at the Rolling Stones in Liverpool as Mick is tearing the joint apart, having the night of my life. Oh, my God. And it's great. To, how big is the, was the first venue where you saw them? Well, this in venue Liverpool. in Liverpool at Anfield, I think it was 55,000. Oh, okay. All right, great. All right. It wasn't 90,000. It All wasn't right. the Rose Bowl, 110,000. But it was just beautiful to know that you're playing in a soccer grounds where all the greatest soccer players who ever lived played, ever, right, from around right. the world. And if you played an international game against Liverpool or you competed against it, so we're at Anfield to see that. Also, first night of the trip or second night this was, we realized it didn't get dark till 10 p.m. Oh yeah, that's uh, that, oh, that's that's God. tough. It's tough on your jet lag. Yeah. <laughs> so the sun is setting around 9:45, 10, and then there's a glow over the stadium with still light outside, and it's 10 o'clock at night. We met another couple. My wife loves this about seeing the Stones. The Stones is a family, so there've been people. This is their 60th anniversary, so there were people who were seeing them for their 60th year. Saw them from the beginning. Wow. So my wife likes to make friends on the floor. She'll see someone. Hey, how you doing? How many shows you been? Blah blah blah, and then you get a partner because when you're standing in the pit there's no seats you want to make sure you have friends around you right yeah okay so we made we made a, a friend with a couple nice couple uh, the gal was from poland and her husband was from outside of liverpool and we invited him back to the hotel afterwards they were they were staying downtown too and we had drinks afterwards and keith richard stayed in our hotel that night wow that we didn't see him but he was confirmed in there that night so I got to Liverpool. I, I probably will never go back again. I'll be in hopefully London and other parts around the world. But to see Liverpool, the whole I was hoping to hear a story about you and Keith doing a bump in the bar. Uh, no, that wasn't going <laughs> I don't partake. But if it was Keith, that could have changed the world. <laughs> so we were. My wife is such a great traveler that in and out. So we're there for Liverpool. We're there for business to see the Stones, and we instantly left the next morning, and then went to Manchester. Manchester, and their airport was massive. I mean, every big five-star high-end retailer there. Escalators going one way, waterfalls the other. Just going, man, Manchester's great. And then we got out of Manchester and flew to Amsterdam. And we landed in Amsterdam and took a cab to our W Hotel. Is that a nice short flight? That's what's great in New York. Yeah, it was an hour. It was an hour. yeah isn't that great? Unbelievable. And we landed in Amsterdam, and as we were flying over Amsterdam, you could see the greenest. It reminded me, I haven't been to Ireland, but it wow. felt like that. The green, the water, 
And we got there and we checked into our hotel, the W. Nice job, worth a plug because, God, you stay at the W in L.A., New York, Chicago, wherever, you know it's going to be five-star. And had a good time there. And then I really started to unplug, Tom, because I was in Amsterdam. Oh, great place to unplug. Oh, my God. And then we'd wake up in the morning and there'd be breakfast at the hotel, complimentary breakfast, and there would be fresh pancakes and beautiful fruit. And my wife said to me, she said, doesn't this food taste fresher? Yes. Said, yes, because we don't live at Whole Foods. Foods We think we eat pretty good food and fresh food. It just tasted better. The ham, the turkey, the cheese, the pancakes were fresher, the fruit. So we woke up every morning and we had a great breakfast. And then we started walking the canals of Amsterdam. And as we walked the canals mm. every day, I saw such beauty. I saw such beauty walking on a canal and then looking up and seeing 17th century architecture. And to do that, and then there were two big things that were happening. They have coffee houses where they serve coffee and just marijuana, Mm -hmm. anything you want of that. And then they have cafes, which I frequent, where you get to sit outside the cafe and then start your day off with a light meal. Oh, start your day off or lunch or dinner. It's it's cafe life. And did you notice that if you're if you're sitting there with your wife and there's you have a good spot, but it's a table for four, it's customary to allow anybody else to sit in those other two uh, seats. Did you notice that happening when you were there? Yes. And would you like uh, to know my cafe rules? Uh, well, oh yes, I want to hear your cafe rules. Specific yes. rules at a cafe, okay. Paris. We're sounding like snobs, but this is our travel podcast. Exactly. There's a lot of snobs listening. Oh, and, and, and Amsterdam is so in my wheelhouse. I told you I went there for a wedding a few years ago, and I always like to leave a place wanting more. But, boy, t- and so I so don't stay that many. I was there six days, and I was wish I wish I was there two weeks. So I was annoyed my, I had to leave. My rules of sitting in a cafe, okay. from Paris to the Duomo in Florence to especially Amsterdam. Number one, you got to be on the outside. You can't be buried in the cafe. There's right. No that. It's not a McDonald's. You want to be outside to the point where you're, you're the last group of tables and chairs closest to what you're looking at. Yep. It should always be statues, hotels, other buildings, because a lot of people. Or canals. Right. Or canals. But a lot of people I'd noticed, they, they look at construction. There's always construction in a major city. Right. You know, they're working on the statue. They're doing this. So you want to have a good view because then you can't get your vibe on. At a cafe because you're hearing a jackhammer or you're looking at a scaffolding. (laughs) Right. So my wife and I find the places and she laughs and goes, is this good enough for you? And then (laughs) cutting into a great seat and ordering that. And then depending on what you have. So the cafe vibe for me is a very important part of Europe because, again, it turns you off and it makes you be aware of the great food, the great drink you're about to have and the great view. Absolutely agree with you on that. And, that, and, the, and I love the friendliness of Amsterdam and how if you are with a couple, then if there's two other seats, other people say, do you mind if we sit down? And the correct answer in Europe is always, no, go ahead, sit down. I know that I worked at the Sidewalk Cafe in Venice, California, where people always wanted to sit along the wall. We called it the wall. And I said, well, it's for four. Are you willing to share? And Americans would always say, oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, no. And so, uh, but in Europe, you, sh- you know, you share your table if you have a good spot that John picked out. So uh, I- I'm glad you had those rules. And isn't yeah. it a, gr- a great uh, cafe life? You mentioned the fresher food, too. You're, so you're not as, it's easier to wake up in the morning. Ah! And the issue, also, last thing on the cafe, I do still have a problem. I always ask for the check, and my wife gets really upset. There's no rush in a cafe. So when right. I'm done with my cafeing, when I'm done with that <laughs> vibe that I'm on, I want to check because in Europe, it could take 20 minutes to get to check. You're right. Okay, they're, right? They're, so They're not as in a hurry as we are. You're right. And usually when someone in Europe gives you the check, it sits. It's beautiful. It sits right there and you yeah. look at it. No, I give them the card before they give me the check. So I, before they, they hand me the uh-huh. check, they present it to me. No, no, no. I give them the card, and now... So you can I'm avoid really, another slowdown. Yeah. And I'm really into this now. Now I tap my card. Yeah, I, I'm now with the times. You know, right. your card, they just I tap. love the tapping. So I can do a tap now. I tap. My wife was also amazed. Uh, she supports it, but you're not supposed to tip, technically, because the tip's included or that's just right. not custom. Always tip. Always yeah, they, they pay them a living wage, and so which is also included. So the tip is also included on top of the living wages, which is why sometimes people don't mind working in a cafe 
for the rest of their life because they live in a really cool city and they're getting paid a decent wage and the tip is included. So going out of the cafes and walking, we took a beautiful canal ride on a boat. So the canals oh, all great. change. It's very tough to figure out where you are unless you're really good at navigation because Amsterdam is a city set up not on a grid. It's like a spider web. So if you go down one canal road and make a left, you go into another canal. And it's like a spider web from the beginning where you are out there. But my wife's incredible. With May I say, this is true about Amsterdam, but it's also true no matter where you go anywhere in the world. You, don't, it, you, you can get confused in Vegas, correct? If someone says to me, I'll meet you at the southeast <laughs> corner or the northwest, I want to throw a punch. <laughs> no where the northeast or southwest is, unless I can see water. Unless <laughs> right, Venice, is. And you say, I'll meet you at the southwest. I look uh, right <laughs> and I know I'm at the water. So we had a great time on the canals. The canals are beautiful because they just take you and they tell you about the history. What a, what a city of Amsterdam. So Amsterdam is big because it thrived in the 16 and 1700s. Yeah, we think yeah. of America, 1776, the 1800s. And I'm fascinated with old bars. New York has McSorley's. Whenever I'm in a city, I ask people, what's the oldest bar that you can show me, that shows me the history? Well, I go to Amsterdam, and I'm sitting in the oldest bar in Holland, 1609. Nice. It was written on the wall, and they had an area where they kept it pristine like the way it was. So that was cool because there you would get a Vienna. It was like a little, a little liqueur and a beer. You'd get a beer if it was a Heineken or if it was an Amstel, real Amstel, by the way. Oh, my mm. God. Nothing against Amstel light in the fridge at the pool, but just <laughs> glistering gold Amstel. And we'd hang out and we'd have a couple of drinks and enjoy that. And we'd do that on the canal boat. And, Tom, the tulips to the bicycles – on the bridges, the bicycles painted purple with flowers on it. And if you look around to the left or right, you're seeing some, and a lot of it's gritty too. And, you know, these beautiful homes that are on top of each other, but the colors were so magnificent, probably because of the way I was feeling, wink, wink. And the uh, colors would just <laughs> pop out at me right. as, I, as I was going on the canal trips. I had a niece who was dating someone from Amsterdam. It was long distance on the Internet, and they had you know, religious similarities and everything. And the mother from East L.A. was so worried. What if she moves there? And so, but she had no clue what Amsterdam looked like. And I pulled Amsterdam up on the Internet and just hit images. I said, yes, you're worried about your daughter moving here? <laughs> and she goes, Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, it is one of those places where uh, you can see yourself living while you're there. It's it's one of those places where you know, it was one of the cities and countries Holland, that I had considered studying in when I was going to study abroad, which I never did because I, I made friends and I didn't want to leave college and go somewhere for six months or a year. And if I did, then I wouldn't be sitting here now, probably, because <laughs> if I discovered Europe in my teens or my early 20s, I might have never come back. It's such a great vibe, more relaxed vibe here. We live to work. We're worker bees. And that's cool. That's our culture there. They just work to live. Doesn't matter necessarily what you do. You never ask anybody what they do. It's a, it's a vulgar question in Europe here. It's here. We open up with it. And it's a much it's such a much more relaxed vibe. And it, that was one of my favorite cities and countries in the world. When I was in Indonesia, boy, this sounds like a snobby podcast. When I was in Indonesia, my brother got married in Indonesia and I took a tour and it looked a lot like Amsterdam. And it's because Holland was an economic superpower in the 1600s and the 1700s. And they had property like the British Empire all over the world. And they uh, at one time. They were the stewards of Indonesia, where my brother lived, and it was kind of beautiful, like Amsterdam and, and Holland with that architecture, architecture where I guess they were taxed by how, yes. how wide how the wide house the was. Houses. You're taxed how wide the house is in Amsterdam. Yes. At the top of every house is a pulley system. Yes. You used to be able to bring your spices and your goods up. Or your piano. Where you <laughs> right. yeah. On top of the houses which were there. So, yeah, really interesting. Good subscription of it. Now, I'm going to try to do something never done on a podcast. It's either Anne Frank or the Heineken tour. Where should I go? You don't oh, really wow. tie in. I don't want to go. I, I think out of respect, I should put Anne Frank after the Heineken tour. Yes. Okay. 
Heineken because you can't make me make a choice, or that be you know, that I have to take Anne Frank, or we'll get, people will cancel. I know. I don't want them to pl- uh, click decline. So the <laughs> Heineken Museum was beautiful. My wife went there 30 years ago, backpacking through college. Went there. I go there. It's more modern than she remembers. You go through the brewery section of it. They teach you how to make beer. The whole history of Heineken and prohibition in the united states and when prohibition ended heineken was the first to send over six cases and build their brand there it was a great story and then at the end at the end the tour ends and you're like in a nightclub you're at the bottom of the factory where you get two tokens and the key is you get two tokens for some decent sized beer Mm -hmm. you know like at least a 12 between a 12 and a 16 ounce beer so the tour is great we have a great time and we line up and my wife gets our beers they're ice cold we're drinking them, and then uh, an elderly couple said, "Would you like our tokens?" We're not, oh. we're not you know, they're they're leaving. They had somewhere else to go, nice. so we got their tokens. And the kid who was pouring the beer, it's an entry level job for him. Maybe his first job. He couldn't have been older than twenty. He was dancing and so happy to work for Heineken. Let everybody have this beer. The music it was like house music that you would hear in Amsterdam right. or Germany. Yep. So we had a number of beers there, and then I, I felt down on my foot on the sneaker I was wearing, like something was stuck in my sneaker. Oh, and it was another chip. It was stuck on my, <laughs> stuck in my sneaker. So I turned that in, and the next thing you know, we had a number of Heinekens as we came out onto the street and went to dinner. And they did a tremendous presentation to see how the beer is made, to enjoy it. And I have to say, I think there's things in the world, like if you're in Colombia, the coffee's probably better. If right. you know, you're, yep. you're somewhere on the water in Mexico, the Mahi Mahi is probably a little better. Yes. But when you're in Amsterdam at the Heineken Brewery, the beer is about as good and fresh and cold as you'll ever have. So that was fantastic. I want to hear about Anne. I didn't go. To, I had a really busy trip when I was in Amsterdam. Didn't go to Anne Frank's house. I want to hear your description since you're so good with words. Sobering to the point where it's life changing. It's life-changing because, let me just tell you what I thought of it. Anne Frank was basically held hostage in this working factory, but on the canal. It wasn't in the ghetto back then or the warehouse district inland. It was right on the most beautiful part of Amsterdam. We actually took our cruise. So you get there and you go through the museum and the history of, basically you get the history of the Holocaust and how Mm -hmm. it happened and the rise of Hitler and, the city being taken over and the region being taken over and them being a Jewish family, they had time. They had time by the original occupation to know that eventually they were going to have to turn themselves in. So they decided that they were going to stay and they were going to stay in this home connected to Otto Frank's friend and they were going to hide there. Everybody knows the backstory and please get the diary and read it. So we're going through it and then you get to one level of the house. And then the second level of the house, and you're seeing Anne Frank's pictures that she collected of the queen when the queen was young. And wow. uh, famous uh, famous actors and actresses in New York. And she's collecting all this, and you see it up on the wall. Then you go to another level, and they show you. Then you get to the bookcase. And the bookcase is there where they hid behind the bookcase that entered the highest point of the home. Right. And the bookcase is open. They say, do not touch the bookcase on any reason there's someone standing there because it's the actual bookcase and wow. you get tingles. Then you have to climb up what would be ladders, right? So you're talking, you're climbing up the same ladders. I'm sure they've been reinforced that Anne Frank went up there initially for two years and only came down once when they got caught. Wow. And you get to the bedroom, the little kitchenette area into the area where they stayed you start reading excerpts of her diary. And I think the thing that was most concerning to me is they were in such a beautiful place and they didn't have a view. They had one little tree that they could see, but they couldn't open up the windows and look out. Oh, too bad. And all of that. And then the father with, with the transistor radio would listen to the allied invasion and with little pins on a map, he would map the fact they were hoping that they'd be free eventually and they got caught before that happened. And that's a mystery, exactly how they got caught. But when the German police came and they found them and they took them down and then they brought them to Auschwitz and that whole story they teach you at the end when you're leaving the house. You come out of it, there's a bronze statue of Anne Frank right outside the building. I saw people crying. 
people just walking away. And my wife and I held hands and we walked out of there. And I, you can never complain about anything in your life. I know. After seeing that. Yeah, I know. We, we, we think our lives every day we wake up. What appointments right. do we have? Oh, we got to do this. We got to pay the bills. And you think of what these families, two families went through and what Anne Frank went through. And to imagine she was just a little young girl and the courage she had to write down all those beautiful anecdotes and put everything in her diary because it was her way to stay alive. And to you, leave, you leave a place like that realizing how often you sweat small stuff and also realizing how, for the most part, it's all small stuff. Well, again, as we started off the podcast, I talked about the week leading up to it was so horrific with the news. And you get to Amsterdam, and I want to tie this in. It's going to come off probably wrong to some of our listeners, but San Francisco should be Amsterdam. And I've been very critical on this podcast right. and on Twitter because San Francisco has turned into a shithole. And mm. it's one of the most beautiful cities I've ever been to. And when you come out of Amsterdam, if you've been fortunate enough to live in San Francisco like I have or been there, you go, holy shit, this could be Amsterdam. Because it has the same, you've got the Golden Gate Bridge. The great architecture. Oh. You've got architecture, history, music. I mean, everything that you could have, legendary restaurants and spots. But you don't feel like people are eyeballing you or people are breaking into your car. Crazy people, people yeah. rob you or yep. go into a store and steal everything and run out. And that's what I loved about Amsterdam. I said, man, these people do it better. Are we proud enough as Americans to admit we do a lot of things better than other countries and but we don't like to admit our weaknesses you're called a hater if you do if you point them out like you just did yeah. and what's happened to new york in the subways and people getting pushed into subways and robbed and the south side of chicago the shootings especially now in the summer have never been worse yeah. philadelphia more violent than i could ever remember and I'm in Amsterdam, and I'm like, how come they how come they got this thing down so good? It's unbelievable. You know, and Puerto Vallarta was very much the same. When you said that, Puerto Vallarta is one of the safest cities in the world. They are a lot like Amsterdam, the same way lifestyles and everything are all embraced. Very open, very San Francisco, big gay element in Puerto Vallarta as well. And nobody looking down on anybody else's uh, occupation. Everybody who lives there has a great respect for anybody else who works, period, whether they're selling trinkets on the beach, drugs in the alley. Some drugs are legal now. Small amounts of cocaine, marijuana are illegal, and, and, and they have a spot in Puerto Vallarta. Or if someone uh, you know is a, is a sex worker, everybody has 1,000 percent respect the the very few homeless aren't crazy because they've got health care and they don't mf you if you don't give them a shilling so uh, or peso so um yeah we can do a lot better now to make the podcast authentic and honest okay, there's yeah. the red light district so Ooh, that's yes. where there's legal prostitution and bars kind of like the bourbon street of amsterdam mm -hmm. and it's along two canals really one main main canal on both sides and it's exactly what you would think bars hopping bars cd bars and a place where women stand in the window a red mm -hmm. light and they're prostitutes and it's legal there and it gets a little bit creepy because when you get into that area because you're walking through the city of amsterdam right to go on that block it, it all of a sudden it's the only time where you feel where it goes from you know 50 percent, 50 percent men and women to 92 percent guys oh of course right. <laughs> right. Right. looking there so you right. cut through the red light district and you see and people window shop if you take a picture they take your phone and throw it in the canal wow yeah, so wow in looney travel edition <laughs> take a picture and you're a creep and you're weird and you're a guy that's never been anywhere before and you're going to be that guy they take your iPhone and throw it in the canal. So that's the red light district story. Then here we go. We're on this trip, everything. So now it's a 10 out of 10 trip, not nine and a half, nine. Okay. So all of a sudden I look at Facebook because we're getting ready for the Rolling Stones in Amsterdam. And I look on Facebook and our friend Nasty Nestor, Nestor Aparicio, the Maven sports talk host of 30 years in Baltimore. I look down on my Facebook. He's in Amsterdam. He's <laughs> in the Stones. We haven't talked. So we connect on Facebook Messenger. I'm pissed off at the stock this month, but that, that app works great. We met up. His wife was diagnosed with leukemia, almost died. A donor from Germany made the blood marrow donation, saved her life, and they became great friends. And they were visiting them in Cologne, wow. Germany, and Amsterdam. That was deep. 
because Nestor and I have been friends for 25 years. We go to Rush concerts together. He loves the Stones, and we always talk music on each other's shows or podcasts. We see him. We connect with him, have a really funny good night out with him. And then the last day of our trip, second to last day of our trip, the last night of our trip, my wife decides we check out of the W in the heart of Amsterdam and we go out to the soccer stadium, Johan Cruyff Stadium, legendary soccer player where Ajax, the team plays with a Dutch player, great World uh, Cup power. And we check into a Holiday Inn Express on the grounds of the soccer stadium to go see the Stones. Wow. Their Amsterdam leg of the tour. So we got a hookup through a good friend out here in Vegas, hooks us up with Mick Jagger's bodyguard for real. Mick Jagger's bodyguard lives in Vegas. Connected through him. The guy's legit. <sighs> we don't have to pay for tickets. He says, when you get to Amsterdam, I got you all set. We don't know what that means. Backstage, pit passes. Because we, we go see the Stones. We don't sit in the upper deck. We, we go on the floor. Right. So we figured that's the case. So my wife and I throw on our black jeans and our Stone shirts and having a couple of beers. And we walk across this field about 100 yards to the stadium, and I text the guy inside on my phone. I'm saying, hey, I'm outside gate E, and we're at the local bar right there. I'll meet you out front. And I look down, and on my phone he says, I'll be out in 30 minutes. Because it's like 5.30, show starts mm-hmm. at 7, 7.30. So we're cool. We get a beer and I'm relaxed. But, you know, my phone's itching. I want to keep looking at my phone. We don't have tickets. This guy's bringing us in. And I look down at my phone. About 5.40 p.m. local time, and it says, JT, Mick tested positive for COVID. Concert's canceled. I look at it again, and I show it to my wife. My wife looks great. She's ready for the stones. She was in shock. I looked at someone who was in shock. Not like someone died or an accident, but to the point where it took her 10 seconds to look back at me. And I go, he's not kidding. And she's like, you're right. He wouldn't do that. I go, yeah. So I tweeted back, uh, texted back, awful. Sorry to hear that. I can't believe this. And he said, Mick's devastated. We all are. And I never meet the guy who mm. I'm about to meet. So for the first time in my life, me, who I like to talk and talk, 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 I had the biggest secret at this global stalker stadium. Nobody, when I mean nobody, wow. cops, there were TV reporters there for the show. 0.0 people had what I had on my phone. So I noticed a couple of people talking. I was speaking English, and I went up to him and said, hey, the concert's canceled. <laughs> yeah, right. No, really, look at my phone. It's for real. And you could see the look. And a young boy who was in a wheelchair was going to the show with his friend. He asked my wife if he could take a picture. And I go, oh, my God, I have to tell this guy this after the picture. Take the picture. He's in a wheelchair, and I go, Concert's canceled. I just want to let you know before everybody comes out. And he's like, no way. He's speaking in a language, speaking Dutch. No way. I go, yeah, it's it's true. So about 20 minutes later, they put it out on the scoreboard at the stadium because there were people inside. Mm-hmm. And they started coming out, and we decided to go to a bar on the grounds, which turned into a Stones concert. All the bars there, they just right. turned the Stones and partied. But, Tom, I'll never forget this moment. The train station was there for the concert. And every train that pulled up, about a thousand people got off going to the concert, coming in. Oh God! And I'm sitting there going, they have no idea. Wow! So it took them about five minutes looking at their phones, and you could see people peeling out of the crowd trying to talk to each other. Hey, you won't believe this. So what was the odds that I was at the only concert in the history of the Rolling Stones canceled for COVID on my vacation in Amsterdam? Mick Jagger, the greatest frontman in the history of rock and roll. Doesn't get COVID earlier in the day at the, at the band hotel. He gets rapid tested at the stadium, and they cancel the concert. Um, and that you would be the first to know, which makes, you know, what's interesting is you texted me that. And I was anchoring the news on KABC at the time and figured, okay, that's a pretty good source. <laughs> I just, I didn't have two like you're supposed to. I went with it. So that probably means I was the first guy in the United States to report that. And I didn't even Absolutely. know that. Wow. And, and I, I refer back to the fact that when Tiger beat Rocco Mediate in the U.S. Open, and that was at Torrey Pines in San Diego, I was the only syndicated sports talk host who was there because Colin wasn't there, Dan right. Patrick wasn't there, Jim Rome wasn't there. I was there, and I went on the radio that night, and I said, I was the only guy on the radio 
that was at Tiger winning on the Monday because it was the playoff, I'm pretty sure I was the only sports talk radio host in America, in the world, to be at the Stones cancellation in Amsterdam. Wow. So learned a lot about myself at that moment. I could have turned into such a dick, and I could have just been so like, this sucks, why (laughs) me? But the people of Amsterdam handle everything so beautifully, so they either had another space cake or a pretty <laughs> or another drink. And they went into all the bars, and they were singing like anthems of the Stones for two hours. It doesn't get dark till 10, so about 9.30 or 10, my wife and I are outside, great weather, listening to the Stones through these sound systems instead of being inside the soccer stadium. That was a gut punch. Wow. Well, I remember when I texted you right away. I said, that's a Saturday Night Live skit. You've got white people problems. Your concert is canceled, and you're in Amsterdam. Oh, gee, what do we do? (laughs) Oh, and then the the last part of our travel special edition of the JT and Looney podcast is next day we leave, and the lady at the front desk says, time's your flight, and we said it was 1235 local time. She goes, you better get to the airport at 9. I go, why's that? She goes, security's a mess at Amsterdam's airport. I go, really? She goes, yeah, they just don't have enough people to work. And we get to the airport there, and it's a big airport, modern, looks Mm, great. Yep. We got in there, and we didn't check baggage, and we got on the security line, and it was two hours. Oh, wow. Two hours. So we we had plenty of time. After we got through security to get to our gate, we had a nonstop on KLM through Delta. It flew us nonstop from Amsterdam to Las Vegas. Oh, Oh, God. And oh, my God. That's great. Ah, And another great job for my wife. We don't fly first class. But when my wife booked it, she booked two window seats because we live together. We don't have to sit together. Right. So I had a window. She had a window. Right. <laughs> we looked at each other once over 10 and a half hours. Movies <laughs> and things to watch. And we flew home and we came home. And I actually went to work that night. After 10 and a half hours in the air, I got home at Three, went through customs, came home, fired up the box here to do my Mad Dog radio show. And after that, my wife and I went in the backyard that night and recounted our trip and said, no matter where we want to go next, I haven't been to Tokyo. I haven't been to Cape Town. I haven't been to Bali. We're going back to Amsterdam. We had such a good time. The Stones uh, decided to announce that show July 7th. We can't go back for that. But I'll go back to Amsterdam again because it was one of the greatest trips of my life and a place that I bonded with. Yeah, a friend of mine has an apartment in Amsterdam that he doesn't use. That's a great excuse to go back when you get a place to stay. It's always much cheaper. And also, uh, Rome. You've been to Italy. Rome and Italy tends to be one of those places where it stays with you. You leave, but it stays with you, and you want to go back. You're going back to Italy, right? At some point, my folks want to okay. go, and my sisters want to go. Oh, great. And, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. The your only parents thing- are going to live forever. Your parents are in your oh, 80s. Your, your dad gets golf clubs, which, you know, when people are, wait, uh, people are <laughs> uh, waiting to check out, they don't get golf clubs, puppies, or planned trips to Rome. <laughs> your parents want to go to Rome. Go my now. Sister, my sisters want to take them to Turin on the oh. Italian side where my grandfather grew up on the French side. So it's a, it's a place that we have to go at some point. But I will tell you this because we didn't even mention Steph Curry winning no. the title and the MVP. But now since Steph did it, he's in the top 10. Even I put him in the top 10. And you know who I had to throw out of the top 10? Oh, nothing. Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, and Akeem Olajuwon. Oh, I threw wow. out of the top 10 and maybe Shaq. Because I can't have five big men. I have Russell. I have Jabbar. I have Wilt. I have Shaq. I'm like, oh, I got That's enough. Five. That's enough. So Steph yeah. is in. So everyone's got this top 10 list. But here's JT's top five all-time cities now. Oh, okay. Yeah. So starting okay. at number five, because you never start at number one. You got to build it up from number five. At number five, uh, Sydney, Australia. Sydney, Australia, where I went backpacking with Bobby G, Greg Eddie, Michael Gerber, and Jimmy B in 1994 and went up and down the Gold Coast. That was there. That goes into the top five. At number four, London. London, great city, unbelievable city culture, uh, fabulous, just incredible. At number three, Paris. The beauty of Paris. I mean, talk about... The beauty of canals and cafes, 
right there at the top of the list. At number two, ooh, it was tough, Amsterdam. Number okay. two was Amsterdam because it just blew by all my other favorite cities. And drum roll, please, at number one, still in the clubhouse, Florence, Italy, where the Duomo and the cafes and the food and everywhere I went, still lucky enough to say that I went to Italy and I was there at the Duomo and I looked every day at it and I was in Florence with Michelangelo, and oh. just there with Amsterdam, it's 1-1-A. One one Birthplace of the Renaissance. Florence won't make it into my top five list, but it will get an honorable mention. I just had to write this list while you were talking, but and that was the one I had to leave off. But it's easily, I could totally make the argument where it could be number one on my list where it doesn't make it the top five because of my obsession with the Renaissance, and we did this great. The first uh, Italy tour was Rome. Florence, Milan, Venice. Venice is, I, I won't put it in any particular order because I didn't have enough time here. Venice is on that list. If you're in Venice, you feel like you're, even though I was over my jet lag, it was the last city we went to. I felt like I was dreaming as we got off the train into a water taxi, which took us a half hour to get to our hotel room. So we're going up and down canals Perfect. through Venice. Perfect. It didn't even feel real. Uh, when you're talking about London, what's amazing in London, you're walking around London and the the London gallery is free and you walk in and there's a Monet and a Van Gogh and a Da Vinci. They got everything. It's and it, it's unbelievable. Um, Paris, like you said, is is one of those cafe societies where it's just unbelievable and you're bathing in history and, you know, and uh, and that that'll be making it on my top five list. Amsterdam, as I mentioned, we spent a lot of time here. Uh, on Amsterdam and how when I said we were leaving, I, I didn't want to leave. And number one, if I could, uh, on my list, will be Rome. I just have an obsession with Rome. I've stayed, I, I've lived Rome twice in my life, stayed. There's a small boutique motel that nobody uses right in front of the Trevi Fountain. And it's not even expensive. I don't know why people don't go there. Every room has a window that opens that faces the Trevi Fountain. And it's one of the great hotels in the world. And when I did stay there, it was goal visualization. We were wandering around the Rome the first time, and there was a small hotel in front of the fountain. I walked in and took a brochure. And I put that brochure in my gym bag, which is also my travel bag. And I had to look at that brochure every day because I go to the gym every day. And the second time we booked a trip to Italy, and we we're staying in Rome, going to stay in old Rome, I took that brochure out of the bag and called that number goal visualization i love it so, and i love rome thanks for listening to the travel edition of the jt <laughs> and looney podcast leave a review would you like to hear more conversations like this or do you want to get us back to the top 10 tight ends of all time and put <laughs> number three thanks for listening like it share it review it help us get our numbers up everybody shout out to jay reamersma Thank you for listening to all 52 minutes and 54 seconds of the JT and Looney podcast powered by Bet Online, where the game starts. Oh, hi, Michael. Hope you and Margaret are doing well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.